Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. This is the Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bitesize Bio. Hello and welcome to the Happy Scientist podcast from Bite Size Bio. If you want to become a happier, healthier and more productive scientist, you are in the right place. I'm Nick Oswald, the founder of BitesizeBio.com and with me is the driving force of this podcast, Mr. Kenneth Vogt. I have worked with Ken for over seven years now with him as my business mentor and colleague and I knew that his expertise could help you, which is why he's here today with me. In these sessions, we will hear mostly from Ken on principles that will help shape you for a happier and more successful career. Along the way, I'll pitch in with points from my personal experience as a scientist and from working with Ken. Today, we will be discussing how scarcity is hurting you. So let's bring in the man himself. Ken, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, Ken. It's funny, as, uh, as you're talking about scarcity there at the beginning, I have this American boxer dog that is trying to crawl in my lap because this dog lives in scarcity of love. He just he or she just doesn't ever have enough. There's just never enough, and that kind of that kind of sets the the tone for where I want to go with this. Um, the notion of scarcity. I think a lot of folks they don't think about scarcity very much, especially somebody that has you know is doing well enough in the world. You know you're. You have a professional job. You're getting professional salary. You you work in a in a place that is equipped for the things that you need to do in a way that you could probably couldn't have done yourself. And you seem to be surrounded by all this abundance. So, what's this notion of scarcity all about? Well, first, I I want to define it. Scarcity is a fear that there's not enough to go around, or a worry that something you you already have will be taken from you or a belief that work and life um, requires losers for every winner. Now, that last part really might get you there. That, that was the one where you might go, ah, I see now. Because you may not be worried about being able to pay your bills, and you may not be worried about whether or not that you know there's going to be enough to do the, the, the next grant, you know, because you've been funded and all that. But this idea that there have to be losers for every winner may really grab you. So there are some other synonyms for scarcity that might show up for you. Do you ever feel lack? Or do you ever see limitation? Or do you have a belief that the world is a zero-sum game? It is, it, you know, it, it, if something pushes down, something else has to push up. You know, if something pushes out, something has to push in. Um, and scarcity can be tremendously damaging to you. And damaging to your career and damaging to every step of everything you do in your work. When it starts to be a philosophy in life, you will find it impacts your creative process. That is, it'll hurt what you do and it'll impact the discoveries that you make because it'll hurt what you see. Because when you think in a zero-sum game, you, you can't see everything. Once something has been taken off the board, you figure there's nothing to see there anymore. Because that's somebody else already got that. It's already done. So, <laughs> this notion of scarcity, Nick. Does this sound familiar to you? Is this anything you've ever encountered in your world? I, I was just thinking there that, that it's almost received wisdom. It's almost, why would you question that? <laughs> it's so ingrained that that's the idea. You know, in science, you're competing for grants, which are a, 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 a limited resource. You are, you know, you may be competing against other scientists who are studying the same thing. 
Um, you know, and you know, for example, you know, big example now at the moment where there are at the time of recording there are lots of people, different groups competing to get their COVID vaccine out and um, be the ones who saved the world and made lots of money in the process uh, for their company or whoever. Um, you know, that's a competition and, and there can only, I mean, in the vaccine, there can be more than one win winner. But again, we live in the, we, we grow up with the idea that everything is a competition and and there are winners and losers. So, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, the first to market is a winner, for instance, is another mm. way of looking yeah, yeah. at things. Yeah. So, like, you know, Pfizer is the winner because their vaccine's coming out first. Well, you know, we shall see. Because it comes down to your, your outlook on it. And I want to I want to point something out here, too, that I'm not saying that scarcity is wrong and false and how silly of you to think that, because it, it is it does exist. And in fact, there's something about science that particularly draws you to scarcity. And it is this, that notion of limitation. Remember, science is all fundamentally, if you just boil it down to what is the most kindergarten explanation of science, it is the things we can measure. Well, but limitation is, that's what measurement is. It tells you what the limit of something is. And, and that's very useful. When, when you find out the limits of things, that's how you progress in science. So, you know, it's not bad to be limited. But <laughs> this, this, the, thing, the part of this that I really want to key on isn't the, the traditional use of limitation or the effective use of limitation, but the belief in limitation. That's, that's something different. See, that, that's why we, we say you don't believe in science. That's a, that's a silly way to put it because science isn't about belief. Science is, is about observation and measurement, you know. But when you turn that observation and measurement into a belief, now you're creating a problem. And that's why I'm, I'm saying there's two ways it can, it can impact you. It, it, if it impacts what you do, you're necessarily going to be limited in how creative you can be. And if it impacts what you see, oh my, you know, in science, observation's everything. And if you can't see things, you won't be able to act on them. Now, this is, this is a notion that, um, that Nick, you and I have talked about before, with the idea that if you have just decided that something is a certain way, you can't see other possibilities. When, when somebody tells you there's a stop sign at the end of the street and not a stoplight, and I know it because I've seen it a thousand times, they will have a hard time believing they changed out the stop sign for a stoplight or a stop stop sign for a stoplight. Because because they they have a belief now. I've observed something multiple times and I can't see. Now that isn't that is not to say that being certain about things you've observed in the past is bad. It it obviously simplifies things and makes things move faster. But if you can't be open to the possibility that your past observations no longer represent the truth, no longer represent physical reality, you're going to miss things. Yeah, so it's, just, it's about this one of the themes that we keep coming back to about the requirement to be open-minded um, and, and be ready to accept new evidence as it appears, and which is kind of goes against human nature. So you have to be consciously aware that you are, uh, you know, to... to to keep in that mindset, right? There, there are, there are some folks who have what some will call the gift and some will call the curse of photographic memory, and there have been some studies done on folks who have photographic memory, and you think, wow, that must be amazing. I wish I had that. But actually, those folks have a hard time in life. The reason why is because they can't differentiate what's important in this picture and what's of value in this picture and everything else. And so we, it's useful to us to put limitations on things. You look in the mirror and you look at yourself and all I want to see right now is, is my hair in place. I don't care what else is going on there. I'm not worried about my, I'm not worried about makeup or I'm not worried about my, my barbering right now. I just wanted to look at my hair and to be able to just see that. But if, if you have to see everything and you see the reflection of everything around you at the same time, you won't be able to focus.
or or if you if you can you, it comes it comes at a great cost so you know we're looking at the other side of this thing okay but if i only see my hair i won't notice that blotch on my cheek and i won't notice that i did a terrible job shaving this morning and it, you know we have to be able to swing both ways so the important thing I want to point to here is how do you know when you have a uh, some kind of scarcity deficit going on that's harmful to you or is not balanced? So I'm going to give you some signals of things that you can see that are causing scarcity for you and not just the 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 functional scarcity that you that you use to good effect, but scarcity that's getting in your way and scarcity that has to do with your beliefs and what's going on in the background for you that may have nothing to do with what you're working on right now or what you're what you're observing right now, but it is still taking a cost in that. And yeah, we, we've all had those those moments where, you know, grandma's in the hospital and, wow, I'm just not paying attention today, you know, or or my 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 child is trying to decide what school to go to and that, you know, so it, and now I'm distracted by that, that that. That kind of scarcity is believing that there's a scarcity of how much I can think about or a scarcity of how much time I have to think about things. So every, I just want to put this out there. Everything you think has a natural scarcity, I want you to question. I'm not, I'm not telling you you're wrong, but I want you to, say, to look at this and say to yourself, what if I didn't believe there's a scarcity of money. What if I didn't believe there's a scarcity of budget? What if I didn't believe there's a scarcity of time? What if I didn't believe there was a scarcity of any resource that you think is valuable? What if I didn't believe there was a scarcity of, of love? Of, you know, and so, I mean, it's going to be applied to anything. You know, what if I didn't believe there was a scarcity of sour cream? You know, <laughs> you, you, just, you just choose. So... I want to. I'm going to fire off a bunch of a bunch of signals that scarcity is lurking, <laughs> and things you can look for. Ready, Nick? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> some of these things you're going to hear. I'm go. Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> you know? Or that shows up in a lot of places in my world, and it, and it shows up at work, and it shows up at home, whatever. So here we go. Okay, first off, anger. Angry is like an early warning buzzer. You get angry often because you fear that you're not going to get something or you're worried that you're going to lose something. So if you're engaged in anything and all of a sudden anger pops up and you see that, oh, that's because I'm afraid that there's something I'm not going to get. There is therefore a scarcity of that. Or there's something I'm going to lose or I might lose. And that one's even worse for people because... If you don't have something, you know for sure you don't have it. But if you worry that you're going to lose it, oh gosh, <laughs> you know that doesn't even exist in reality. You still have it, but you know I'm worried that we're going to lose this grant. Well, you can torment yourself with that. And if you get angry about it, that's the first signal, because that's that's the the thing too. Sometimes these things are in, in steps, so you can start to peel them off and realize what's going on. So anger is number one. Here's another thing that people do when they believe in scarcity. They hoard information. They figure, I can't share this because that's what makes me valuable around here. If other people knew about this, what do they need me for? You know, so, so they don't share things. And in the scientific world, I gotta say, you, you folks have a, a leg up there. You often are more uh, willing to share than in other industries, but there's still that's still going on, and there's for-profit businesses going on that where this is this is intellectual property, so it feels natural to not share things. But but I want to key on that word hoarding. If you're holding things to yourself, not for any particular fear that or that some damage will be done, but just on general principles, it's another sign that you're thinking scarcely, because. If you can share information with people, often they can they can help you move to the next step. They may give you clues what's next. You share with them, they share with you, and you go, aha, there's something I didn't see. 
or there's an opportunity I wasn't aware of. Um, and so you can take things forward. Here's another one. And again, we're talking about beliefs here. You secretly hope others will fail. We all know that's a rotten thing to think. <laughs> but if, if you find yourself doing it, rather than beat yourself up about it, like, wow, that is beneath me. That is, that's, not, that's not the way my mother taught me. You know? <laughs> um, that, that is because you're worried that competitors are going to cut you out. It's a scarcity thing. When you start to realize, you know, I can't really be cut out. In many cases, that's what the truth is. I'm not saying that that's always the truth. But when you have these beliefs, you're going to act on irrational emotions rather than examining the facts. And then you will be, you will be directed by those irrational notions. And we've all seen this with people uh, all around us. That they don't act on data. They, they act on their fear about the data. They don't act on, on information. They, they act about their worry about the information. So if you see, your, if you see yourself feeling competitive to, to, to a point where it's not that you want to win, it's you want them to lose, that is another sign that you are thinking scarcely. Okay, here's another one. You find yourself flying by the seat of your pants. You're not properly preparing for things. Why would you do that? Well, it's because you don't think you have enough time to prepare. But as the, as the adage that was once spoken by Abraham Lincoln uh, is, if you need to chop down a tree and you have six hours, spend five hours sharpening your axe. You know, the, we all know what happens with projects where we don't plan. We all, we all know what happens when we don't get ahead of things. And it... it with the exception of things that you've done repetitively or, or are small so that if there's any, any loss because of lack of planning, it's not that big a deal. On, these, on the big projects that you all work on, it, it is so critical that you not fly by the seat of your pants. And especially when there's external pressures. And I think the coronavirus vaccine is a perfect example that if you, if, if, any company that's working on a vaccine is flying by the seat of their pants. They're not going to make it to market. That's, they won't work. They have to. They have to get in front of that. And if you find yourself not planning when you know better, again, this is evidencing you have some kind of scarcity belief and, and probably uh, concerning time. So that's something to look at. Here's another thing. You're fearing change. That is, you're having a visceral reaction to change. So change shows up, we have, a, we have a new protocol, we have a new project, we have a new edict that came down from on high, and your reaction is to fear that, all right, you are fantasizing that you live in a world that is static. You know better. Nothing alive is static, can't be static, or it's not alive. <laughs> so, wow, I'm talking to biologists and I have to tell you to think about things being alive. But again, we're human. Humans do fear change sometimes, and if you find yourself doing that, recognize what's happening. You're, you're not seeing the world as it actually is. So remind yourself what the world is actually like, and realize that you've dealt with change many times. You've passed through it, and sometimes change really helped you. So don't excuse yourself saying, well, I don't fear change all the time. I just fear this change. Yeah, but why? Why do you fear that change? It's something to look at. Here's another one. And this, this ties into some episodes we've talked about in the past. And I'm thinking about the one about having imposter syndrome. But there's kind of a flip side of that. And we've all met some, some people like this that think they know everything. And if you find you feel like a know-it-all in an area, what's really going on? You know, it, it, it can't be true. It, it's, and, it, and even if it's just, if it's just um, centralized to something specific... I realize that many of the folks listening to this, you are truly are world experts on something. And that's great. But recognize, as you may be the world's leading expert on whatever, you still don't know everything about it. You can't know everything about it. That is part of the natural human limitation <laughs> that, that, that everyone has. We need other people's perspectives. So if you ever feel like you, you're, you know everything about something, again, 
that's a scarcity thing. Because now you said, well, this is all there is to know. I, therefore, you won't be willing to see anything outside of that. And you will miss out on, on opportunity. You will miss out on, on valuable new information if you think you know it all. Uh, another thing that somebody who's got a scarcity attitude might do is they'll be criticizing others all the time. You know, they have this attitude that, you know, if it weren't for everybody else screwing up, we'd get somewhere. And their, their inkling is to find somebody to blame. Well, you can actually go through life, we could have a whole session about this, without ever finding fault with anybody and find your life to be quite successful. <laughs> We'll we'll uh, we'll keep it short for for this episode, and it just and notice that if you find yourself drawn to criticizing others, there's some there's some scarcity you're feeling there that you you feel like blame has to be placed all the time, instead of saying okay this is what we know and this is what we don't know and let's move forward from here, and at any given moment whatever has happened whatever disaster took place however somebody screwed something up, the only place you can start from is here, so this is where you start from and there's no sense. Doing, there's no sense um, having a trial before there's even been a postmortem, <laughs> uh, and usually, even even when there's been major failures, there's still an objective to meet. So, the focus on criticizing others is a waste of time at a critical time. So, again, it's a scarcity thing. Here's another one: having a sense of entitlement that points to scarcity. I'm owed something. If we, if we keep that attitude in front of us, it's, it's because we're afraid of losing it. I think that I, I don't ever have to work for anything. I, I, this should just be given to me. This, I, I deserve this respect. I deserve this, the, this lab time. I deserve this new piece of equipment. You, know, you gotta, you, Making it about deserve changes the whole dynamic of everything. And again, it's a scarcity thing. We think that's the one thing. It, and we, we might think of those things as things, oh, this is something I should be able to count on. And I'm not saying not to count on things. But you, you count on something and you have gratitude. When, when you're entitled to something, you don't have gratitude. So you know, that'll come up in a little bit. <laughs> okay. And uh, finally, blaming others for our failures. You know, we talked already about looking for, for somebody to, to place blame on. But when you are trying to deflect blame, that's, that's, that is showing some real scarcity. That it's something you, you have to get away from. All right. So that's my, my list of how you might know that you, are, you ha- that you have lurking scarcity around. What do you think, Nick? It's interesting because those are some things that you would not, well, I would, not immediately associate with um, with scarcity, mm-hmm. but I think the the sort of impression I'm getting is that what you, what you're talking about is um, hmm, it's kind of in a way it's not believing the minds. It's rather than believing in abundance in a way. Mm-hmm. It's it's about belie- not believing in the scarcity, if you like, because you don't know whether there's abundance or whether there's scarcity, and you stay in the mind in the the mindset of open of being open so that you can work in the best way as you are. So for example, the flying by the seat of your pants one, that's one that I resonate with, as you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, interesting that that's an idea, you know, that would be that I think I don't have time to do things, so I rush everything. Right. And so uh, I, it's not so much about believing that I do have time, it's about not believing that I that I don't have time, if you like. Do you see right. what I mean? So it's going, yeah. and then I can see that if I if I move away from that and go, well, I, I might, I, I just assume that I have time, then I it doesn't mean that I will, but it means that I'll work in a better way, right? Yeah, which is more means I'm more likely to not be locked in this this same behavior, right? Um, yeah, and it's interesting because it's when you point to something like you know that's um, that's uh, that's concrete, you, that, that does have a, uh, have a limitation. Like say, you know there's only um, five grants available and you're going for one of them and you're stressing out that you won't get one of them. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you, you can't then flip it around and say, no, there are, there are more than five grants available. So that's, you know, I don't need to, to fear this, you know, or to be, to be anxious about this. But it's not so much about that. It's more about just taking the focus off the scarcity so that you can then do a better job of preparing for the grant and a more, you know, in a, in a way that, that suits you better because you're not so anxious and, and so on. Sure. And I, I, let's, I'd like to key on that one as a, as a specific issue because I think that is one everybody is encountering. And they, well, they, they look at that and go, okay, it's just a fact. There's only five grants available. That's how it is. And I'm, I'm sure there are 25 organizations that are vying for it. So the you can't say, hey, your math is all wrong. No, your math is absolutely right. But the scarcity is that I can't compete. Not not when there's I only have a one in four chance or one in five chance of getting it. Of course you can. All you have to do is be better than than four other people or four other organizations. And that can be done. You you can there's there's always a way to find out. Somebody is gonna get the grant. You know, somebody gets the gold medal in the Olympics. Well, against all odds, right? But somebody got it. And it happens every single time. So this this notion of scarcity, uh, when you ask those, you know, those top athletes, those top winners, was there ever any doubt in your mind? And you will often hear, no. I, I saw it. I knew it. I knew I would be standing there with that gold medal. I just knew. And I knew who I was up against. I knew how good they were. But I knew I was better. I knew I had it in me. You know, and that's not to say that you win every time. Because obviously you could do everything right. You could submit the perfect grant. And for whatever reason, somebody's got a different set of standards than yours on, on, on the board that's making the grants. And you don't get it. All right. Uh, that happens. So this isn't about perfection here. You get, But you want to present from the best place you can. Because if you have the attitude, oh, yeah, we don't have a shot at this, and you phone it in, well, yeah, what a surprise. We didn't get that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? yeah, or if you're angry or stressed or, or whatever, or as you said, you're holding back. You know, you hold back what you know from other people so that you're mm-hmm. inhibiting your collaboration and so on. It all sets up, all those kind of things set up a, a circumstance where you're not working optimally because right. you're... You're focused you're, on the outcome and you think it's going to be, and you're focusing negatively on the outcome. Right. Um, then, but isn't it just as dangerous to focus positively on the outcome when you think, yeah, yeah, I've got this. We'll definitely get this grant. Uh, yeah, you, know. you can't. Well, I'm not talking about being Pollyanna-ish here or mm. just fantasizing that everything goes perfect in the world. That's not the point. The point of this is that let's remove scarcity as an attitude and as a belief from the system. And now... Now you can play. You know, it's like you're playing poker with professional poker players and you're a professional poker player. You're not going to win every hand. That's not going to happen. But you're not trying to win every hand. You, that, you realize there's going to be, there's going to be some, some misses along the way. You just don't, you're not making them failures. You're not busy looking for somebody to blame. You, you know, you're, you're separate from all that. You realize, okay, he got dealt a better hand than me this time. That's how it is. But I see that. And I'm focused on my present hand. And if my present hand isn't that good, I'm not going to sweat it if I don't get the grant. You know? <laughs> but uh, if I've got a good hand, I want to play that hand. And I want to play it all the way. And that's what we want to be looking for. So I want to give you some tools to inoculate yourself from scarcity so you can take that out of the equation. And then you can do the best that you can do with what you actually have available. And you know, if you're a small company and you have less resources than some gigantic competitors, you you realize, I can't win every battle here. I shouldn't take on every battle even. But you start to realize, you know what? There's a particular battle where they're not paying that much attention, and we really do have the expertise, and we can win here. And it gets clearer then. And if you, and if you strip out any scarcity you have, now you have a far better shot. Like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. 
Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. So, I'm going to take some of those things and we're going to look at the things that I said were, were signs that scarcity is, is lurking in the background and say, well, what do you do instead? Because in some cases, it seems obvious that, well, if I just do the opposite. Sometimes you look at it and go, wow, I don't know what the opposite of that is. So, for instance, the opposite of anger, it is not positivity. It is not optimism. It's a joy. Joy is an interesting thing. And, and, I'm, and I want to be clear here. I'm talking about the concept of joy. I'm using joy as a label for it. You might use a different label for it, or you might use the word joy to mean to label something that isn't uh, this, but... Well, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Joy is that, is that feeling, that belief that everything is good, even if there are bad things happening. You're unimpacted by circumstances. You're constantly joyful. You're constantly looking to expand, to grow. You're constantly looking for, uh, for life, right? I would juxtaposition that against happiness. Happiness is something that happens in response to something. I'm happy because she said yes to the date. I'm happy because we got the grant. I'm happy because I got a raise. And now if you take that away, well, I'm not happy. Whereas with joy, joy is just there. You're joyful, you're joyful just because. That's a far more functional attitude, a far more functional belief than living in anger. So you will find scarcity will have a hard time living in the presence of joy. And, and you remember, since it's not related to circumstances, you don't have to feel like, well, I shouldn't be joyful right now because, you know, because my parakeet is sick and, you know, my kids are home from school and, you know, no, you can still be joyful, even though there are things that you're calling negative in your life. It's fine. Next thing, if you find yourself hoarding, you can just flip out of that. You know what? I'm going to start sharing. And that, so start looking for ways. I know you, you're going to, and you're going to look at some things like, man, I really, really, really want to hold on to this. What, but could I share something else? I mean, go ahead and start out with something that's more comfortable for you. Because there may be times when you feel like, oh, if I, if I share this, I really don't, I don't have a place here. Nobody needs me at all. Um, you may have to work your way up to that. But if you can get to the point where, uh, where you could freely share things, you're going to find that feeling of hoarding information being good. It doesn't feel good anymore. I was just having a conversation with somebody um, yesterday who, uh, he's a, a retired IT worker, and I mean a, a senior engineer. And he was working for one of the big, one of the big telecom companies. And there was another man that worked there who retired. And at that point, this man realized, you know, I am the only one now who knows how to do this particular task. And it's a mission critical task because Bob just retired. And nobody seems to know that. So he actually went to his superiors and said, you have to take me off some projects. And then you need to give me a couple of people to train because I'm the only one that knows how to do this right now. And if I don't do it, you know, everything crashes. Now, he could have been in the mode of, oh, boy, I've got it made in the shade. I am, I, my job is so safe that you know I'm never messing with this. But he realized, no, that didn't work. And you will find that if you are willing to help people along, if you're willing, and I think I just saw something on Bite Size Bio about that, <laughs> about are you, are you willing to, to mentor people, even if you're younger yourself, if you're, you're newer, are you willing to help the, the, the post-grads? you're going to find out you will be considered more valuable. It isn't your knowledge that's making you valuable there. That information doesn't make you valuable. It's the fact that you just keep coming up with information. It's your creativity. It's, it's the fact that you are a fountain of this stuff. That is highly valuable. So that's what you want to go for. So share information and show people how much value you have. Um, if you're looking at others and hoping they will fail, Obviously, stop that. Start hoping they will succeed. And what I'm talking about here, uh, well, hope is one thing. Intend for them to succeed. 
Because then when you intend for them to succeed, you're going to find ways to help them or, or ways that you could help them will appear. And you'll realize, oh, well, you know, I can make their path a little easier by this or that the other thing. But it's the change in belief, the shift in attitude that opens your eyes to those things. If you hope people will fail, you won't see opportunities to help anybody. And, you know, and if you're, if you're known as the person who never helps, that is not a good place to be. You want to be the guy like, oh, I know we can always count on Sally. If we need something, man, she is there for us. And, and, and if we need somebody to, to bounce ideas off of, she's going to be the one to, to, to really help us. So, you know, you want to be that person. Of course, we talked about a bit about the idea of winging it. Well, cut it out. Start preparing for things and start building that in. Don't, don't make promises that require you not to have time to do the upfront work. So get, it's just a matter of getting clear about how long it really takes to do things and acknowledging the truth of it. You know, so, so don't, don't shackle yourself there. Now, if, you're, if you're fearing change, obviously take a new look at that and start embracing change. So when a change comes along, instead of your, your first reaction being like, oh, what is this going to break? What am I going to lose? Start looking at it like, what is this going to fix? And what am I going to gain from this? And how, how, how can I help make this change a success? It, it's just the attitude you bring to it. And it can change how you feel about it then. Because the, the fact is, nobody likes the feeling of fear. I mean, maybe you like watching a horror film and all that, because that's, you know that's not actually happening to you. But in your real life, you don't like to be afraid. So why, why make yourself be afraid? Why not make yourself be excited or make yourself see opportunity? Another thing, man, don't be a know-it-all. Be, be excited about the fact that you don't know everything, that there's more to learn. And if you've worked hard to become truly an expert on something, be excited about the fact that, that you've just scratched the surface, that there's, that there's more to follow. And, and remember that you're, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants who, who had that attitude before you. Okay, cut out your criticizing. Start complimenting people. Now, there are some folks out there that are, it is not their common way to compliment people. It's they just, I don't know, they just never done it. They never saw any value in it. Well, start looking for ways to compliment people. And I mean sincerely. I really, you know, it, it is quite possible you're the smartest person in the room. And everybody else around you is like, man, I wish I could compliment these people. <laughs> but find something. If somebody is, is diligent, compliment that. Even if they're not that smart. Even if they're not that fast. If somebody, on the other hand, is fast, they get things done quickly, compliment that. Even if they're a little sloppy about it. it you know, it, it takes all kinds. And open your eyes to the fact that your way of doing things is not the only way of doing things. And it doesn't ever cost you to compliment. That's the thing that a lot of people have. It's their scarcity attitude. If I compliment you, that means I've acknowledged you do something better than me. It's like, no, that does not mean that at all. You know, uh, if Serena Williams compliments me on my serve, it doesn't take away from her at all. She can still mop me all over the court, you know. But you, and especially for people that are coming up and people that are newer than you or, or they're, they're just, they haven't made it to your level yet, your compliments mean a great deal to them. And those people will help you after that. They will support you. They will like you. They won't know why they want to help you. This is, this is just somebody I'd like helping. You know, and, and their knee-jerk reaction will be to do the things you ask of them instead of like, oh, why should I bother with this? Because you bother to see them. And people are just aching to be seen. You know, because, and remember, you think you're the only one. <laughs> Everybody else is as aching to be seen as you are. So compliment people, give them that gift. And, and, and it's got to be a one-sided thing. This is not a transaction. You don't compliment them to get compliments. Whether, you know, and that's true of whether I don't compliment Nick to get a compliment from Nick. I don't compliment Nick so that I will get compliments from other people. I compliment Nick when Nick when Nick deserves a compliment. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's how you want to look at it. Okay, get rid of your attitude of entitlement and instead embrace this notion of gratitude. 
Think about how much you lose when you just expect things. And and if if you belittle people for the fact that, hey, you didn't give me what I was owed. It's not that hard to say thank you. And, and you think, well, I'm the boss. They're supposed to work for me. They're supposed to do things. It doesn't cost you a thing to thank someone for doing their job for you the, or, or in any other setting and actually have gratitude about it. So that, that's the next part. You might think, well, I, you know, this magnanimous gesture is just someone demonstrating their power. When, when the boss thanks me, he knows I had to do it, right? But if he actually has gratitude in his heart about that, if he's actually feeling that way, he has a very different experience. Well, the same thing, the same thing will be true for you. So have gratitude. Look for op- opportunities to be grateful to people. If you are begrudging things to other people, the, the answer to that is to stop judging them. This notion of stop judging, man, we could have an whole episode about that. <laughs> uh, but stop making them wrong. Stop looking for their flaws. Now, I'm, now I'm not saying you should be blind to people's limitations. You want to see that. But looking for flaws is a different, a different attitude. Now, I, I realize at some point you might be examining data and you're looking for flaws in the data. And, but you're not looking with, with uh, an attitude about it. It's not an intention. You're just looking to see, is there anything here that's flawed that I should be throwing out of my data set? That's not you going like, where are the holes? How can I get them? How can I, aha, there it is. I found you. You're the, you know, and I knew you, gonna, you were going to have flaws. You know, that's a totally different outlook on things. So just stop judging people about that. Doesn't mean stop assessing. It means stop having some kind of indignation about your assessments. Just see it as it is and and move from where it is. And then finally, stop blaming other people, especially for what's happening for you. Accept your own responsibility. Remember, this is about you being responsible, not you being at fault. There's a It's a different thing. You don't feel bad about being responsible. In fact, we often feel good about being responsible. And there, there is something really freeing about going, I made a mistake here. This is my error. And, and I am duty-bound to correct it. it may, that is what responsibility feels like, recognizing that whatever happens here, the buck stops here. And, and I take care of it. And, and that, that will change your outlook on scarcity. You, you will no longer be this helpless creature that it all is happening to me. And, and then even when it's your fault, I got to jettison this, this blame. I got to get rid of it on somebody. You know, that is a very scarce way of looking at the world. So the bottom line with all this is this notion of examining scarcity. It's not a big, long process. It's just stop replace and move on. You know, if, if you find you, you typically go to anger, stop, replace it with joy, move on. You find you fear change, stop, replace it with embracing change and move on. And you can, and you can find the same one of these things popping up a hundred times. It's fine. Each time, stop, replace, move on. Don't beat yourself up about it. Because some of these things, you mean, you may have been doing your whole life or your whole career, and and you may be surrounded by other people who are doing it. It may look normal. You know, well, everybody does that, or everybody does that here. Uh, well, everybody doesn't have to include you then. If they're doing something harmful to themselves, to your operation, you don't have to join in on that. And and there's not a scarcity out there of jobs even. If you, if you find a place that's just too toxic to be, find someplace else. <laughs> So what do you think, Nick? Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's uh, it, it's about uh, I guess it's about identifying. Uh, you know, you've identified a lot of ways in which we think there are, there's not enough, mm-hmm. and then and what uh, that causes. You know, basically causes to be angry, selfish, <laughs> unprepared, yeah. scared, and all that. And and so right, right. And I guess what you're saying is rather than you know. 
focusing on that there's only five grants, as we discussed earlier, won't give you a greater chance of getting the grant. But it right. will make you work. It make will make you be more produ- uh, less productive and less happy while you're doing while you're doing the submission. Um, and so, uh, which could have a deleterious effect on your on your application as well. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, identifying all of these uh, ways in which scarcity kind of seeps in, and mm-hmm. then doing the opposite is basically what you're talking about. Gives you the opposite effect. You become more joyful, more sharing more uh, prepared, less afraid, and so on. So that's interesting. Yeah. Less judgmental. Yeah. Wow. Think about the world you live in now, and then think, if I instead lived in constant joy and gratitude and, and gratefulness, and I'm complimentary of everybody, and I'm really happy for them to succeed, and I'm excited about change, wow, doesn't that sound like a better place to work? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you think that you, I, I think the trap here is that you think that by focusing on that scarcity, you're protecting yourself somehow. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, say that, you know, that I think the grants thing is a great example. There are five yeah. grants available, you know, each time you, you apply for a grant, right? There's, say, say, five different sets of grants that you apply for. And um, if, you, if you, you do those five different um, applications and each time you're focused on, uh, the fact that that you might not get it, then that's just you're just setting yourself up for a life of misery, really. Exactly. And you don't give yourself any a, any better chance of getting it because worrying doesn't do you any good. Right. And so it's about taking a step back, which is about it's a bit counterintuitive, but that worry is not doing yourself doing you any good. That that um, you know the being angry about things is not do you know frustrated is not doing you any good. It's not giving you, your, yourself any more juice to, to get what you want. But uh, the rewards of stepping back from that are, are very large. But again, like a lot of this, is, it's, it's kind of stepping up back against kind of, in a way, against human nature, st- stepping away from human nature. Um, and, and Stepping away from animal nature, honestly. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, and, and also stepping away from what you see others doing. Because yeah. a lot of this is quite common. Oh, of course. And that's, that's something I want to point out here. If you're in an environment of scarcity, where the people around you are scarce, your organization acts scarce, that's the beauty of this is that you can still inoculate yourself from scarcity. You have total control over how you feel about scarcity. And if, you have, if you're in any kind of leadership role, well, you have influence over the level of scarcity that's felt by your organization. And whether that's just about your own team or whether you can you can inoculate your organization against scarcity, that you can be the guy constantly reminding folks there's a better way, you can make a huge impact and, and you can really change things in your you know in your operations, in your organization, in the world. So this is this is not small stuff, and yet it's completely available fully to you individually. You don't need anybody's permission. You don't need any budget. You don't need anything. This is how you choose to believe in things. That's interesting. I, I think that what you've laid out there about how to uncover lurking scarcity, what the signs are, that's a really important because a lot of this is about discovering where you are finding where you are are uh, you're um, seeing scarcity. And, yeah, and, and that's what uh, I really want to encourage people to do here. I know you may have showed up here with this and go, man, eh, I don't really live a scarce life. Please examine it. You're going to yeah. be shocked how many places you find where scarcity lurks. And I still do these exercises myself uh, periodically because, you know, I think I'm pretty good about this when it comes to having defeated scarcity. But, man, it has a way of wheedling its way back in and showing up in places where it never showed up before and you know, and it's pretty easy to beat back. It's just, it's like ants getting into your kitchen. Usually, it's not like they're they're attacking your kitchen. They're just opportunists. They're just looking around like, oh, there's food here. Great. You know, <laughs> uh, and oh, they came in a new hole this this time. You know, they, they just happened upon it. It, they, it wasn't like there's this, this evil cabal of ants tr- attacking your kitchen. <laughs> you know? And it's the same thing about scarcity. Scarcity will show up and... And you can find the hole, and you can plug it and move on. Yeah. So that so those those points, how to uncover 
lurking scarcity and the list of how to inoculate yourself from scarcity, scarcity to, so what to, you know, how to act in the opposite way, those will be in the show notes so people can use them and you can kind of do a bit of a, a scarcity audit on yourself and improve things for yourself. So I was just thinking to come back to your dog barking outside. Yes. <laughs> the, dog, the dog needs to, to realise that you love him, that you will be back, and then he can relax and stop upsetting himself and messing up your podcast. <laughs> That's right. The cat apparently can't learn that. That's why he is on the front porch right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was really great insight, Ken. I think that's a lot to chew on. It's almost one of those things that's so hidden in plain sight, you really need to examine it to, to, to weed it out for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll be doing a bit of that. Um, so I think that brings us to the end of this yeah. episode. Uh, that just leaves me to remind people to um, to go to uh, bitesizebio.com forward slash the happy scientist, uh, find this episode, which is number 26. And you can, if you find the show notes, it'll uh, give you the outline of what Ken was talking about there. So you can, you can look at it. You can also join us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash the happy scientist club, all one word. And in there, uh, we'll be putting together some uh, different viewpoints and different ways of examining these concepts that Ken is talking about. And finally, remember, if you haven't already done so, to go back and have a look at episodes one to nine of the podcast, where we talk about the foundational principles of human needs, core mindsets and charisma factors, which we refer, refer to in this episode and others. So if you find this episode useful, go back and listen to those episodes one to nine to get an understanding of those life-changing concepts. So thank you again, Ken, for another great insight. Hopefully that's helped a lot of people and we'll see you again next time. The Happy Scientist is brought to you by Bite Size Bio, your mentor in the lab. Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.